How do you handle coaching athletes that are better than you? Or how do you handle coaching movements that you're not able to do yourself? We're going to dive into those topics today because it's something we get asked a lot about. How do you coach better athletes and how do I coach these challenging movements? What if I don't have muscle-ups? How do I coach them myself? So we're going to talk all about that, but it's not just for coaches because if you're a member and you want to hear the coach's perspective or if you want to think about what you can be doing as a member of your local affiliate to help your coaches out, that's what this is all about, giving back to the community. So on today's episode of Best Hour of Their Day, Fern and I dive into this. Hope you enjoy. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, welcome back, Fern. We've got some good topics today. You want to dive into that? Yeah, so we'll, we'll just jump right in. So this is a topic that comes up pretty frequently, not just, not just in the level one, level two setting, but anytime I talk to new coaches, uh, gym owners in general, and that is the topic of, this is kind of twofold, but how do I coach a movement that I'm not, you know, either don't have or technically proficient at? And how do I go about coaching athletes that are better than me? Right. So somebody's, you know, technically fitter by their numbers than I am. How do I navigate that scenario as a coach? Because I don't care how long you've been coaching um, or how good of an athlete you are. At some point, you should have an athlete standing in front of you that is more proficient than you or you or there might be a movement programmed with movements that you do not have. And, and, and what do you do? Do you just not program it or what? Yeah, I think like you said, it's kind of twofold. We all have movements we struggle with, but we still have to coach. You know, for example, today when I coach, there's handstand walks. I happen to be proficient at handstand walks. I can kick up and do it, but I know there's coaches at our box and I know there's plenty of coaches out in the world that would A, struggle to demo that and B, struggle to coach that. So they're really two different things right there because I had someone, I was telling you earlier, who does the programming at his box and his owner, the owner of the box wouldn't allow him to do it because he's like, our our coaches can't coach that. So how do we get our athletes better despite our inefficiencies as coaching? And like you said, every time at a level one, athletes will, you know, the, the participants will come up to us and say like, I'm not very good. Like, how do I coach these good people? So, so let's dive in. Let's take that first one. What's your opinion on that? And the, I think handstand walking and muscle ups are two of those movements we see the most. So there there's a, let's just throw this out there. You do not have to have a movement in order to coach it. Right. So like, I'm pretty sure Bill Belichick's not a great football player. Yeah. I mean, that's the example people use, right? Whether it's football, basketball, baseball coaches, however, they all were, or many of them were good back in the day. Uh, good as a relative term. Like, I don't think Bill, like nobody's like talking about how great of a football player Bill Belichick was, you know, I don't follow football. Was he good? No. Did he play? Uh, you know, I don't even know if he played, but I know he wasn't good because he's a coach now, but you know, <laughs> like, you know, my, my, so my, again, my dad is a perfect example. Like he coached uh, high school basketball as a hall of fame coach in Louisiana for 36 years. And he's like an okay basketball player. Like he was never really that good. Yeah. Um, my high school wrestling coach never wrestled, you know, collegially or even in high school he just 
was like, we need a coach. Yeah. All right. You, Ortega, you're coaching the, the, the boys wrestling team. I mean, if we want to make it more practical, like just, just do a little bit of a canvas of some of the CrossFit coaches in the CrossFit space. Like some of them are fit. Some of them are not really that fit, but they know how to coach or they know how to program. Those are two different things, but you get where I'm going with this. So, you know, the first thing is just to acknowledge that is, you know, let's, let's use either a muscle up or a handstand walk. You don't have to have that skill in order to teach it. What you do have to possess is an understanding of what that skill requires and progressions with which to teach that skill. So if you haven't listened to the episode about progressions, go back and listen to it. But that does not only pertain to the nine foundational movements. It pertains to any complex skill where there is going to be various iterations of that movement before we get to the actual movement. Yeah. And I would double down on that and say, I'm always a proponent of you have to be working on it yourself. Correct. So this is not, please don't, anybody who's listening to this, please don't misunderstand this for, for just mail it in. Be like, Oh, I don't have to try to get that skill because don't undervalue the things you're going to learn and put in your toolkit by trying to learn the skill. You're going to come up with different coaching cues. You're going to come up with like your own progressions in some, in some instances that are going to be very, very useful. You're going to find out very quickly what is effective and what is not effective while trying to learn a skill. Like another one would be single arm overhead squats. Like that one is tremendously difficult. And what do you do? Do you not program that ever? I would argue that's a bad idea. You don't need to program it all the time because it's pretty devastating, but maybe you don't have the mobility for that. So maybe you should work on your mobility and figure out ways to layer that in there. What are the progressions for something like a one arm overhead squat with a dumbbell or a kettlebell? Like is, are there iterations of that? If people can't kick up on their hands, what is the first thing we're going to try to get them to do? You know, and I'll give myself a little same shameless plug here in the book. I have a chapter about that. My, my very first coach that walked in out of nowhere was super fit, like a two minute Fran on day one, super fit dude. And he had muscle ups. It was one of those things where you're like, Hey, show me this. And I showed him muscle up that I'd been struggling on and he popped himself above the rings easily. But then months later when he you know comes back at his level one starts coaching, he couldn't coach the muscle up. It was like, get over the rings, you know, and I have a chapter where I'm talking about that. He didn't have to really understand that minutia and the technique and skill that go into the muscle up. Like I did, where I had to sit there and learn the false grip, learn how to transition, learn where to pull. And that's what made me not only learn so much about the muscle up, but also empathetic to those that couldn't do it. There's definitely strong argument for athletes that can do on day one or at a disadvantage when coaching. Yeah. That's what coach Rip used to say that all the time. Ripito would be the, the, the best athletes make the shittiest coaches and the shittiest athletes make the best coaches. And I was like, Oh, that's why I'm a good coach. Cause I'm really bad. Yeah. Yeah. You're not fit. Well, <laughs> I love to work hard to get fit. And even for jujitsu, it's like, I'm a good coach there because I understand the nuance of what I need to do. Cause I'm smaller or my legs are short, whatever it is. So, so from a practical standpoint, what this would look like, we'll use the, we'll use the handstand push or the handstand walk, for instance. So that, that's not something you see regularly programmed in most affiliates for a lot of reasons. A lot of people can't walk on their hands, maybe don't have the floor space, uh, or maybe the coaches don't know how to teach it. But how, how would we go about doing that? 
So let's say you are a coach and you cannot walk on your hands. Like, what's the first thing I'm going to do? Well, let's think about all the athletes that can't walk on their hands. First thing I need to establish is, could they maybe kick up on a wall? So that's a yes or no type answer. But let's assume they can't kick up on the wall. So where do we start if somebody cannot kick up on the wall? And I got this from Donnie Forbes at a level two years ago, where you don't need a wall. You don't need anything to teach people to start kicking up. And all you do is you start having people do like quarter kickups just in the middle of the room. They put their hands down and they kick up just a quarter of the way and they come right back down. And you're just teaching them what's the lead leg. How does the foot come down on the floor? How to brace their hands on the floor while not bending their elbows. And then you maybe do a half kick up. And then once they get comfortable with that, they can start to learn where their body is in space. And this maybe takes three minutes with the whole class where everybody can practice this. And then you slowly progress to the wall and then... For those people who are on the wall, what you can do to progress somebody to walking onto their hands is you, they wouldn't kick up with their hands right by the wall. They might kick up with their hands two feet away from the wall and then take one step until their heels hit the wall while they're inverted. And then they come down and they just repeat that process. So you just start with one step, where, but where they're going to be braced up against the wall. There's another really cool drill. And again, this is as people progress where you do this with a partner when one person has a PVC pipe and you basically hold a PVC pipe like you would do a like you were going to do a bench press but you were standing and the person who's your partner kicks up to you and they put their their basically their calves on the PVC pipe so now I'm I'm standing on my feet you're my partner you're upside down and I just have the PVC pipe supporting your legs so first thing we do is we just hang out there and then what I'm going to do is we're going to I'm going to slowly start to move away while you move your hands and we're going to figure out what the appropriate distance is. And we're just going to work on that and moving. So um, we've done that drill a lot. And anytime we have, you know, I've had classes at our gym where we have a handstand walk. We program it probably once or twice a month where I'll have 10 plus people walking on their hands. But that's because we practice walking on our hands. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to also programming that we discussed a few weeks ago where this is the kind of thing that could be happening after a Metcon, after a heavy day where you get 10 minutes of handstand practice, you don't have to only do that on handstand day. You know, somebody misses your two handstand walking days that month, all of a sudden they've, they've never get upside down. But now yep. if you're throwing it in two other days as a skill session, they're doing it. And then they're excited when it comes up and the scaling options are, are really limitless, right? You could, you could have a kicking up, you could do a bear crawl. You can do feet on the box and walking sideways around the box or today, I was thinking for the people that couldn't handstand walk up and kick up, I'd have them kick up and alternate where they're putting the weight in their hands to kind of mimic that. But there's no, no right or wrong for any of that. There's no right or wrong. You can have people do cherry pickers on the wall, which is I just kick my feet up on the wall and I do some variation of like a shoulder tap or just start lifting my hands up off of the floor. You can do a modified bear crawl where normally in a bear crawl, my hips and shoulders would be somewhat in line, but you do it a bear crawl, which is more, uh, like a stiff legged bear crawl that gets their hips a little bit higher and gets a little yeah. bit more load in the hands just to get people that shoulder stability. And the point of all of this is none of those require a coach to have handstand walk. Like nothing we've talked about yet has requires a coach to be able to demonstrate a handstand walk. Um, and, and I would just can, say, yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, for the coach there, they're listening and they're like, Oh, this is good and great, but you guys can do it. I can't. And that's something that you just own. You know, no different than if you're demoing something that you can do, but with 
you know, less than stellar form, you might say, Hey, this is what a, an air squat looks like. My right toes tweak out a little bit. So just be aware of that. I want you guys to try to do this for the handstand walk. Same thing. Hey guys, we're doing handstand walk. I have some drills that we're going to do. I can't do it yet, but I'm working on it. I do these same drills. Yep. And you just tell people that there's nothing, I don't think there's anything worse for a coach's reputation than trying to hide your own flaws. Like you should acknowledge them and just say, guys, when I squat, my heels come up or I don't have a muscle up yet. I'm working on it. Just acknowledge those things. Cause your members are not dummies. Like they see it, you know, and somebody's going to call you out on that. So just own it, get better at it. And people will see that progression. They'll have much more respect for you as a professional and as a coach, and they'll listen to you. They'll, they'll see your journey as you go through getting the skill while you work on it. And it'll give you that authority as a coach to coach those athletes that are better than you. Yeah. And I mean, I could speak firsthand example and something you might, you're not going to be able to relate to it because you could do it. But when I first got on staff, I really struggled with strict muscle ups, even though I had kipping, you know, years ago, strict just eluded me and they were challenging. And, you know, as you know, we have to demo those every Sunday. Somebody does. And I would, that'd be the first thing I looked for when the training sheet came out. Like, do I have to demo muscle up? And if I didn't, I was excited. I'd rather teach it, but I worked on it and now it's not a problem. And it was, you know, sometimes because you're put in that position where you do have, you know, you're going to have to demo it or, you know, for me, it was like, I always had to get coverage for it. I worked on it and it was just the same things we teach at the level one. We teach the fall script, you know, getting on your knees and your knees forward, work on that. And that's, that's what got me strict muscle ups. So you definitely have to work on that. And again, just to acknowledge, like having a skill set does not make you a good coach. Those are two completely independent ideas. Like me having the ability to do a muscle up or walk on my hands and me having the ability to teach either one of those skills. They're not the same. So just because you have it doesn't mean you can coach it. And just because you don't, don't have it doesn't mean you can't coach it. Yeah. I'm, it seems like you're dropping knowledge and I'm giving stories on this episode, but let me give you one more story. Please. I was, I was on Watt on the Waves and um, I had to coach a class with Pat Belner. And there was like 200 people in this class. Like, Watt on the Waves was a pretty good ratio, I think, to get some. Yeah, seat. 100 to 1, right? Yeah, at, least, yeah. at least we have an assistant. Mm-hmm. And a couple of people wound up showing up and helping out. These, these classes were way more crowded than Austin and Connor had expected. And I get there and Pat's like, what do you want to do? I was like, they're not here to see me, dude. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, he was like, I don't coach. And I was like, I'll tell you what, I'll handle the coaching, but I'll make sure they get what they need from you. And it was like, you know, so just going to stick my hand up your ass and just (laughs) use you as a puppet. But I mean, I ran that class and he was a phenomenal assistant and people, you know, it's when you're Pat Vellner, when you're, third in the world over and over it's like you can say whatever you want and the, mem- the members of the athletes are just like that's the best cue ever oh yeah push your knees in all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't squat so low um but it was just like it's a perfect example of what you're saying hey the best and you know some of the best athletes also happen to be the best coaches but it's very true we just think because they're so good that they're good coaches but they're not But so let's stick with that example, right? So the, let's say that you, again, so for instance, you were 
again, maybe paired up with Patrick Milner. And there was a movement that came up that you're like, clearly I can't do this, but I know that dude can do it. Um, is it okay to use an athlete in the class to demo movement for you? Let's just say that you have zero ability to do something, but you do need to show people whatever that skill is. Like what, then what do you do in the class? Yeah. And I mean, and that, that's a perfect example of where it's like, I wasn't worried he couldn't, I think it was like dumbbell front squat and push jerk at like a moderate weight. I wasn't worried that he couldn't do it, you know? So that was a great, that's one way that I showcased him doing that. And if, I don't want to sell him short. He was helpful, you know, in, in the class and he, he was a, a pretty good coach. He just was worried about 200 people as anybody would be. But yeah, I think that's totally okay and acceptable. Here's the, here's the caveat to that. I've seen that go horribly wrong. And I think we've discussed this where, they don't check with somebody beforehand. Can they do it and do it well? I see that happen regularly, even at my box that I coach at. And sometimes they use me and I'm just like, I don't know what your expectations are either. Like, Hey Jay, will you jump up there and show this? I'm like, well, what do, how do you, there's different ways to demo different progressions. And I don't always know what you're going to do. So make sure if you're doing that, there's been some sort of talk prior. Yeah. Just grab the person beforehand and say, listen, you have, you can walk in your hands and, uh, and I can't, I just need you for two minutes to demo this movement and, and then I'll cut you loose. Are you good with that? And they're like, yeah. The other thing I think is important when you do that is, um, nobody moves perfectly. So there, there's no such thing as a perfect mover. So the, the other thing that we should do as coaches is if we do bring on somebody to demonstrate a movement of some sort, you need to be prepared to correct them on the spot and tell them you're going to do that beforehand. So you're not calling them out. So for instance, this, this conversation would kind of look like this. Hey Jay, I need you to walk in your hands. Uh, my shoulders hurt and I can't, I can't really do it today. Um, so just show me real quick. And then you would demonstrate it for me before the class. And I would say, listen, I want you to, uh, you know, splay the fingers out a little bit more and try to keep your feet together when you walk on your hands. So we would have that conversation before, and I'm going to let you know, Hey, if you, if you bring your feet apart, I'm going to tell you to keep them together when we demo for the class. And you're like, okay, cool. And then what I've done is I've set the expectation with the class when I correct my athlete that moves well. So now everybody's like, Oh, okay, well I should probably do that instead of having my my legs flailing on around, looking like a doing a back bend. Um, so if you're going to have somebody demo, make sure that you correct their movement. If it has faults, don't just let them go and be like, here's a muscle up guys. And this, this weird chicken wing thing, um, like go ahead and acknowledge that. So everybody knows that that's not actually how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. And then, you know, people need to realize that's, we do that regularly on the weekends when we're coaching on the box and we're demonstrating movement, you know, Jenny's teaching the air squat and she doesn't like something that I'm demoing she lets me know. And it's important for your members to see we're always still working on improving. You know, you have to, I think an issue is too many coaches let their ego get in the way for a lot of things. You know, I'm the first to admit, like when I'm struggling with something or I need to work on something. So your members know this is never ending. Never. I mean, it's just, it's a constant, yeah, at some point your 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 focus will shift. Um, it'll shift. It, like for me, it's shifting away from like moving heavy loads to just developing like weird awkward skills. You know that you can you can do like some of the gymnasty stuff. So, but for a lot of people, and for me, a long time ago, it was to get a strict muscle up. 
you know, the amount of time I just spent hanging on a set of rings, like trying to do that, or the amount of time that I spent trying to figure out if I was ever going to overhead squat 135, I mean, is, was not, was not a little amount of time. It was years. Yeah. I mean, when we first started, there weren't level ones every weekend. There weren't other coaches to teach us. It just became, we have to figure this out. Well, you know, where's the best way to put my shoulder and elbows in this overhead squat. And that's why we became better coaches for that reason. Now, so what we're telling people is you need to coach everything. You need to have a plan for not only your coaching of the movement, but also your development of the movement. What about that stress of getting back to the box, be it after your level one, or you just have some good athletes at the box and coaching athletes that are better than you? So a lot of people think that coaching good movers, we won't even call them good athletes. We'll just call them good movers is easier. And I think it is significantly more difficult um, because the, the, the degree of error in a good movement or good mover is so much less than it is on a, on a terrible mover, you know? So like, I think, um, I think back to when I first started working on our staff and to the, I think back about the participants and, and I, you would probably agree with this, but let me know if you don't. The breakout groups have gotten harder to coach because people are better movers. So you have to be much more on top of your game when it comes to seeing and correcting. Where six years ago, you, the, I mean, you could just take a bet, take it to Vegas, and you would probably win if you said, of the 10 people I'm going to have in this group, four of them are going to be a disaster. Like, full train wreck at least you know, yeah full train wreck um you know knees in heels up rounded back not below parallel all that stuff um, but that's not the case anymore like most of what you are going to see now is um maybe one who's got some severe limitations uh and the rest of them are going to be what i would consider like c plus b minus movers and then we have to take somebody who's a B minus and try to make them an A minus or a B plus, which is significantly more difficult than taking from somebody who's an F to a C. Yeah, I agree. There was a, I think there was a period of time, probably like two or three years ago, where the movers, the participants moved really poorly. And then recently, like you said, the last year or so, it's, it's definitely improved. And I think that's just a matter of the content CrossFit has put out there so people can see it and coach more and more boxes being open. So people's first exposure isn't their level one to good coaching. They have their box. Yeah. So there's definitely, there's definitely better. And and like you said, it makes it harder. And I think that's when you have to be a better coach. Like I'm good at my box as you are at yours, as far as relative to the other athletes. So people respect it, but I still coach the, you know, there's five or six people that perform better than me at most workouts. I still coach the hell out of them. And, you know, for, for example, yesterday, um, the workout at, at one point called for 50 box jump overs. And you may think to yourself, all right, well, you're either doing those or you're not. Like, there's not a whole lot of coaching for a better athlete. And as someone was jumping over, I'm like, hey, as you land, I want you to think about rotating on the box. Come off, be ready to go again. And you know, that's taking someone who's moving really well and efficiently a little bit better. Yeah. So from a coaching standpoint, here's, here's a way that you could think about this, right? So I, I typically like in the level one on the day two workout, when they get to do a little bit of coaching, 
I'll, I'll ask the coach for what, what kind of a grade they would give the athlete they're watching. Right. So, and they're just like, I mean, so let's say they're just like, uh, I mean, I feel like this is a pretty good movement. This is a B plus movement. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't disagree with you. So now what do you do? Right. And most of the time in the response is like, cheer them on. And I'm like, yes, but what else do we do? And they're like, I don't know. It's in this sputter. And this is where from a coaching standpoint, if you're looking at movement and you don't see anything crazy and your initial thought is that's pretty good. Then what I can do from a coaching standpoint is I can think about two things. A is this athlete moving at the appropriate threshold? Like, are they, should they move faster or B is there some sort of tactical or efficiency tip that I can give this athlete who's moving well to make, to make their transition a little bit faster or turn their feet this way so that they can get out of the burpee faster or, or something like that. So don't ignore those athletes because those athletes want to be coached. The good movers want to be coached because they want faster times. They want to lift heavier weights. They want to get better scores on the AMRAPs. And sometimes those, those little nuggets where it's like, Hey, when you come off the box, don't, you know, you do need to rotate before you come off. That way you can get back onto the box faster for this, for the next rep. So think about it that way. I've got a good mover. Okay, cool. Should they speed up? Yes. Is there something that I can do as far as tactically in this workout, give them some advice that will help them move along a little bit faster. So it's not always about hundred percent movement. If somebody's a good mover, then I want to push them towards threats towards their threshold speed. Then I'm probably gonna have to do some more coaching. Like something's gonna break down. Yeah. I mean, every weekend at the level two, I, I brief the participants and you know, they're like nervous about the feedback they're going to get. And I, and I tell them probably just like they're, they're the athletes at their box that don't get coaching. A lot of coaches don't get feedback on their coaching. And yeah. I'm like, you can't expect to improve at the rate the the staff here does. Cause we get feedback every weekend and we make it a point to get it in our boxes, but it's the same with your movement. If you're a box owner, you're a coach listening to this. Those are the people that are going to leave. You know, yes. why are, why are they going to spend $150, $200 a month to come in to hit workouts and not get coached? That's, you know, that's when it's like, well, I'll just do this in my garage. I mean, unless you have an amazing, amazing community, which a lot of boxes do, and that's what keeps people paying. Ultimately, they need to provide something to their members. And if you're not coaching, if you're always worried about Susie because she's going to break her back, but everybody else gets ignored, that's an issue. I had a kid come in years ago, not years ago, maybe two years ago. Um, he was on, I mean, this kid's fit. Like he was really fit, like significantly fitter than I am. Um, that's not that hard. And what true and was at the time. And uh, we, know, was, we listened to last week's episode. You're a yeah, regional, yeah, yeah, yeah. regional athlete. Regionals 2012. <laughs> um, no, the, uh, so, uh, the workout, I don't remember what, it, I do remember had muscle ups on it. And, uh, but so just for, just for context, he had been to the games on a team at least once, I think maybe twice. So he's, he's fit. And, uh, the muscle, the workout had muscle ups in it. And towards the end of the workout, he started getting a little sloppy. So again, from a coaching standpoint, he's fitter than me. He's a great mover, but he's starting to break down at the end of the workout. So I just started talking him through the reps as he's stringing these together. I'm like, keep your hands clo closer, lean back a little bit more as you pull. And he's going from stringing three together to like four or five at the end of the workout, just because I'm there talking him through that to make him move a little bit more efficiently. I can make him fitter. 
I just right. need to give him some focus points as he gets tired. So just but, something to think about from a coaching standpoint. By the CrossFit definition, you made him stronger. Uh, for sure. The uh, productive application of force, I believe, is what it is. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I think really this episode is hopefully giving everyone listening the confidence to know you need to, and you know, the one thing I tell people at their level one is you're leaving here. Hopefully you pass the test with your certificate. You're a level one trainer. You have more experience and exposure to this methodology now than the average person at your box. And you need to be confident with that. I mean, yeah. for the first few years of me coaching, you know, I was just that chubby little affiliate owner coaching everyone and it was only because I knew more about the movements. And, you know, now 25 years I've been somehow involved in the fitness industry. It's like, I don't care what you look like. And that's not to say there are times where I get intimidated, even at level ones, level twos, we get some really fit people, you know, and I'm coaching them on their squad, knowing they're probably fitter and stronger than me, but that doesn't mean I can't make them better. Yeah. And that's, and that's something to just take to heart, which is that's your job. Like that is our job that when you step out on the, on the floor as a coach, like your job is to, to get minimum 1% out of every athlete on the floor, regardless of how fit they are. Like my job is to get some degree of improvement, which means you're just going to have to work a little bit harder. You know, I'm going to have to figure out some way to make that athlete who's twice as fit as I am a little better during this workout. And they're going to appreciate the effort, but it's not easy. And I, it, and you said something there that was very subtle um, that I don't know if everybody picked up on it, but if you dive into the details of the movement, right? So you open up the level one training guide and you go through the points of performance and you go through the faults and you go through the execution of the movement and you study all that stuff. That person might be fitter, but I guarantee you they don't know that stuff. So you have the expertise now and they do not. And that is what makes you a coach, not your ability to do a muscle up or walk on your hands. Yeah. Like you said earlier, the best coaches in the world can't always do, or maybe they were able to back in the day. And I mean, coach Glassman, who is probably fitter than most people think he is at his age, I'm sure can't do as much as Matt Frazier does, but he would coach the hell out of him given the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I've heard stories of coach walking in and just like breaking people just by the things that he coaches them. Like, and I don't mean like in a bad way, just like really making people work hard to get better movement. Like, and in, in, in th these are recent stories where he comes in and just like, Hey, we're going to do this. And all of a sudden people are just like, Oh my God, this is so difficult. Right. But that's because he knows movement. Like he knows what is difficult and what makes good movement and what will improve people's fitness. And that's your job as a coach, not not necessarily to have like 30 muscle ups unbroken. Yeah. And I know we, we live in this little bubble of CrossFit, but you see it outside of sport as well, be it, you know, music, cooking and anything out there. There's, there's coaches that aren't as good as the people they're coaching, but getting great results. And, and if you're listening, you can do that too. You just have to have that confidence. You have to be studying and you have to be practicing. And Fern and I have some things in the works to help everybody develop that. You know, we get feedback from everybody, but if you're listening still and you have feedback, you have questions on things that we can do to help you improve as a coach, we want to hear it, right? We want to, anything we develop, we want it to come from the listeners and make sure that we're giving you guys what you need. Absolutely. All right, Fern, let's, uh, let's put a bow on it. Everybody needs to coach.
yeah, everybody needs to coach. And if it, you don't, you don't need to have a skill to teach a skill. You just need to understand how to teach the skill, use a progression, figure out what those baby steps are. What are the intermediate steps before you get to an advanced movement? And that's how you teach people to get that, you know? And that's one of the things when we talk about increasing people's work capacity to cross broad time and modal domains, when we talk about programming, yes, we're talking about moving heavier loads, you know, going faster or getting more rounds in an AMRAP. But one thing that people leave out is, are people developing skills and drills that they did not previous have, previously have? And that's super important from a coaching standpoint. And you can't do that if you're leaving those things out that you're just, that you don't have. It's not about you. Yeah. I mean, everybody loves when they hit a PR and a lift, especially, you know, the Olympic lifts, but ultimately your PRs will kind of stagnate a little bit. They don't come as frequently. They're not as substantial. And you get to the point where you can RX most things. You still need to dangle that carrot for your members. I mean, think about the open every year or the excitement once in a while, it's somebody hit a PR clean, you know, in the clean ladder, whatever's going on. But often it's like first bar muscle up, first handstand push up, even first pull up. That's what, you know, all that stuff is happening in, in what we're discussing here all year round in that coaching. And that, you know, that, that stuff isn't magic. You can't never have a bar muscle up and then have 20 people getting it. But if you've been working on it over and over, some days it just clicks with that little bit of a push, that little bit of, uh, you know, added incentive in the open. Yeah. And the, the most, the most excitement I've ever seen is not necessarily on the barbell. It's on some of those gymnastics movements that you just talked about. Very cool, Fern. All right. Well, we'll be back next week for another episode of best hour of their day. But in the meantime, please share review, do all that stuff you can do to help, uh, promote and, allow us to reach more people so we can continue to spread the good word of CrossFit. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Take a moment, head over to the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Google or whatever you use and leave us a review. It really means a lot to us and it's what allows us to spread the word. Also, share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers, Tell everybody at the box to listen to best hour of their day and let us know what we can do to provide you a better experience. Do you have topics you want us to talk about, people you want us to interview? We are here for you, the community. We're here to give back, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Best Hour of Their Day.